1: Thank you for joining us. You are listening to a ministry of Crossview Church with Pastor Kevin Hardcastle.
0: This is a new year. Therefore, it's a new series that we're starting today. This is a new four-week series that I'm looking forward to sharing with you. I've been excited about this. Now, interesting enough that sometimes God just kind of does things that kind of sets things up. And I believe that this message is always, I believe all messages are Holy Spirit-led and Holy Spirit-inspired. But I believe that this message Unlike any other country and where we're at, I believe this message, I pray, will challenge us as Christians, will challenge us as Christ followers, but also will challenge us to be more aware of what's going on and more uh, um, in the now coherent to what is happening, that we would be stirred to do something more than possibly what we're doing right now. Now, I want you to know that as I preach this message, I'm going to preach about things that were very real in the day and time in which Nehemiah lived. But what's interesting is the day and time in which Nehemiah lived is very, very contemporary to what we're living into today. It's very interesting. No, it's not interesting. It's God. It's Holy Spirit. The Bible transcends time. It's really amazing. And so we're going to look at Nehemiah, and I pray that God will challenge each one of your hearts and will encourage you to do what we're going to talk about in the next, uh, next, ser- next four weeks, change your world in 52 days. This is a story of Nehemiah. Nehemiah, who was—now, uh, some of you in school, uh, some of you may have been this. Maybe you were voted most likely to succeed. Uh, the uh, What's that called? The superlatives the superlatives. Everybody was looking forward to their senior year when they got the superlative award for, you know, best smile, you know, best dressed, prettiest, most handsome, most athletic, you know, those kind of awards that went out. Um, kiss the most boys. Uh no one really wanted that one. Uh, and so uh, they they there was all these different superlatives. My high school was PC before PC was cool. My, my high school, they didn't do superlatives. They put the topic, and then they put two dash lines that you got to fill in yourself. So guess what? I was the most likely to succeed... I was the most handsome. I was the most athletic because I got to just fill my name into underneath the list, and so I didn't have to ask anybody. It was all vote was up to me, 100% unanimous. Um, but if you've ever been in those areas and you were you were successful at something, you accomplished something big. You know, first I want to say congratulations. Um, but I also want to say this to you: this message is for ordinary folk. This is for just the people that didn't really get any awards. They really didn't accomplish a whole lot. The ordinary people that didn't feel very encouraged, maybe didn't feel very um, strong, didn't feel athletic, maybe for those today that didn't feel like they brought a lot to the table or brought a lot or left their thumbprint in humanity. This message is for all of us, ordinary, daily people that struggle in life. Anybody out there like that? Any ordinary, struggling people in life? Anybody? All right, a few of you. I'm preaching to a few of you. Good. This is... A story about an ordinary man, young man named Nehemiah. Nehemiah was, a, was nothing that drew people's attention to him. He had no popularity, he had no fame. In fact, um, he was just a cupbearer in the king's castle, a cupbearer. He, he wasn't a prophet, he wasn't a priest, he had no leadership abilities that we could even see or speak of. He was not a king. He was a cupbearer. What was a cupbearer? Cupbearer was a really cool, easy job. You guys always pray for the easy jobs. This was an easy job. All he had to do was sample the drinks before the king did. Pretty easy job. And that's all he did all day long. Sip this, sip that. Yeah, you're good. Because why? He was the guy, if he killed over, they said, don't drink it, king. He's the cupbearer. He's the sampler taster. He was the ordinary guy. He had so little worth, so little value. They said, let him try it before I do. (laughs) Had no worth, no value, ordinary, cheap in life. Nehemiah, that we're going to read about and what his life did. Because Nehemiah did incredible things with a very ordinary life. I'm here to encourage you today that God takes our ordinary, our mundane, our, our things that we think are so worthless and trivial, and God uses it to do amazing, extraordinary, life changing things. The thing that you think is so, eh, that's not much, everybody can do that, everybody can do that. God takes the ordinary, the mundane, the the people who have maybe even ruled themselves out from being any kind of life or world changer, God finds them. God sees you at your lowest point. He says, I can use that one because they are humble and they will obey me. So let's read about this story of Nehemiah, and the interesting part, an interesting part about Nehemiah is this. We're gonna just kind of go through it. We're gonna read the verses, we're gonna read through Nehemiah, and we're gonna let it unfold and hear the story of this amazing life. Here's how it starts. Uh, the words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah. Now listen, I'm not gonna get all these words right because I don't, I don't, I'm not gonna to claim to be a scholar about it, but I'm gonna say Hakaliah, because it just sounds cool. Um, in the month of Kislev, in the 12th, uh, 20th year, while I was in the citadel in Susa, okay, we're going to stop right there. we got to break all this down. What? <laughs> what did he say? I'm lost already, Kevin. Help me come along here. All right, so we got Nineveh, son of Hakaliah, and Kislev. What is Kislev? In the month of Kislev, what is this? Kislev would be, their calendars were not the same as ours. Remember, we're in the Old Testament, not the same as ours. Uh, Anywhere in the Bible, not the same as ours, okay? So their months and days, they don't fall the same way that we do. Christmas, Christmas in the Bible is not December 25th. We all know this. Hate to burst some of your theological bubbles. Easter is not, doesn't change and move around every year according to moons. That's just something that we've done to, to fit into our calendar. Kislev would be somewhere... November, December-ish time, when you're putting up your trees and kind of getting ready for Christmas after Thanksgiving. This is kind of that timetable that we're talking about. Susa, the, the citadel of Susa. Susa would be modern day Iran. So this, is, this story is told from Iran. This is outside of, of Jerusalem, outside of Israel in Iran. And this is, 400, this is 444 BC, 400 years before Christ, okay? So now we kind of know the timetable. Let's continue to read. It says, uh, another good word. Hannah and I, one of the brothers, came from Judah, so came from Israel, uh, with some other men. And I questioned them, Nehemiah, questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. It goes on to say in verse 3, They said to me, those who survived the exile are back in the province, are great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is what? The wall of Jerusalem, say it with me, what's wrong with it? It is. What's wrong with it? Broken. It's down. It's, it's down. Its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, what happened to him? What did he do? He sat down and what did he do? He. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before God of heaven. I'm going to stop right there. So let me give you just the history real brief and a kind of a split second Israel history. Israel... The land that God established, they built up this mighty city uh, in, in Jerusalem. They built up these walls, these massive walls. If you've ever had a chance to go to uh, Jerusalem and to Land, it's, it's amazing how they built these massive walls to protect them from their enemy. And God said, if you obey me and if you listen to me, I'll always protect you. I'll always keep you safe. Israel, the Jewish people, you follow me. I will always cover you and keep you safe. Well, what happened? Over time, they drifted. They drifted from God, they drifted to God, they drifted away from God. They would um, they'd be in love with God one day when things were good, but when things were good, they would drift away from God, and they'd be kind of like, eh, we don't really need God. They started worshiping other gods, they started sacrificing other gods, they really drifted far away from God. So what did God do? God couldn't protect them any longer, and God allowed the Babylonians to come in and conquer their city. And when they came in, they destroyed everything. In fact, they not only destroyed the walls and the, and the gates, but they took all the kids and they shipped them all around their known world. They separated families and kids and they shipped them all over. In fact, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the book of Daniel, this is what happened there. This is a contemporary of that. So fast forward, the Medes and Persians come in and they conquer the Babylonians. Well, when the Medes and Persians come in, they're a little bit more of a friendlier people. They're a little bit more kinder, but yet they still have their own gods, and the children of Israel spread throughout all the known world. Nehemiah is a cupbearer to the king of Persia. Okay, so we're fast forward here, all right? That's where we pick up the story. Nehemiah is in a foreign land. His brothers come back to the foreign land. They say, hey, he says, hey, tell me what's going on. They said, well, people have survived and they went back to Jerusalem, but everything's in disarray. In fact, the temple that was once mighty and great was like a makeshift tent temple. It wasn't really doing a whole lot of work. It wasn't really glorifying to God. Just kind of a tent. It's very important that we understand this because this is where Nehemiah is going to have a Popeye moment. How many know who Popeye is? Anybody raise your hand? You know who Popeye is? Some I mean, of you kid, you know who Popeye is? Really? You guys watch Popeye? All right, Popeye the Sailor Man. You all know Popeye the Sailor Man. Not all of him, but most of you know who Popeye. For my illustration purposes, you'll get it. I'll explain the rest. Popeye the Sailor Man. Uh, yeah, toot toot. He, he wasn't tooting. He was doing his pipe. Um, <laughs> he had his pipe. He would go toot toot. Um, but Popeye the Sailor Man had these like, Remember, big old forearms. I mean, they they were massive. You know, his rest of his body wasn't that great, but those forearms were amazing. And and Popeye, there was Brutus. Brutus was the bully. You know, and who were they chasing? Who were they always chasing after? Olive Olive oil. The U G L Y. You ain't got no alibi. Olive oil. I mean, could they have made her any uglier? Seriously, find a better-looking girl. That girl was ugly. But Bruce and Popeye, they, Brutus and Popeye, they wanted this girl for whatever reason. I don't get it. But they wanted her, and they, they would fight over her. And, and whenever Brutus would get too rough with Popeye, and, you know, you watch some of these cartoons, you go, that was really domestic abuse. It was really going down. <laughs> I mean, he'd take Pop- uh, olive oil by her neck and drag I'm like, wow, I man. But anyway, so Popeye would get, and he would say, that's all I can stands, and I can't stands no more right? Remember that? And what would happen then? His spinach always managed to, the can was always open. How in the world did it stay fresh? You know that? It, did you ever notice it always stayed open? And if he was in the middle of anything, it would pinch and it would fly up and hit his mouth in some way. It would go like gravity had no purpose in Popeye the Sailor Man. And he would hit it and then it'd be like, and then he started just taking off, right? Okay. So Nehemiah hears about what's going on in Jerusalem, and Nehemiah is going to have a Popeye the sailor man moment because he's going to think, you know what, I'm nobody. But somebody's got to do something, it might as well be me. Somebody's got to step up and say something, it might as well be me. Somebody's got to stand in the gap, it might as well be me. Somebody's got to speak up for the innocent, the hurting, the broken. It might as well be me. Somebody's got to help the the homeless out. It might as well be me. Someone's got to give to the needy. It might as well be me. This is Popeye the Sailor Man moment. He heard about the walls broke down. He heard that there were people that were in rubble and disarray, and something inside him stirred, and he said, I have to to do something. Three ways that God uses ordinary people to change the world, three ways. Write this down if you're taking notes. Three ways God uses ordinary people to change the world. Number one, ordinary world changers sit down and they cry. They feel compassion, they feel a stirring, and something in them they cry out because they're so saddened by what they have just learned. It says, when Nehemiah heard this, when I heard these things, I sat down and I wept, I cried. Now listen, I'm not talking, I mean this is like, this is comparative to when Jesus rode into town and he sees the temple and it has all the salespeople all around selling stuff in his temple and it says that he looked upon it and Jesus wept. It's the time that Jesus showed up and, and, and Lazarus had been dead for four days and, and he was, they said, you can't do anything, Jesus. He stinks. And what did Jesus do? Jesus wept at the thought of losing his good friend. This would be the ugly cry weep. Anybody ever ugly cry? It's so embarrassing, isn't it? The ugly cry. Scrunch your face and tort it into ways that you didn't think was nearly possible. You feel like your tears are shooting across the room and hitting other people across in their face. It's just ugly cry. You know this is the kind of cry I'm talking about. It's an ugly. Deep down, remorseful crying out to God. Why? Because Nehemiah heard that a thousand miles away, not one mile away, not a hundred mile away, a thousand mile away, his city that he never grew up in, he knew nothing about, he never had been there, he probably had never visited because he was a cupbearer from very young years of age, he heard that it was in disarray. And what that meant was the walls signified security, safety, Solitude, and they secure. They uh, they signified a defense from the enemies. And Nehemiah said, "Our city is in disarray and completely vulnerable to the enemies that would try to take it over." So a thousand miles away, he cries. He's saddened. He's 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 looking, and he's like God. Why? Why is it this way? See, I don't know about you. Could be just me. I'm really good at ducking pain. And and what I mean by that is I'm really good at filtering what comes into my life that would make me cry. I don't like crying. Anybody don't like crying? Come on, let's be honest. It's okay, we're all good. How many of you love crying? Yeah, that's right. She's she's not lying. Jane Lyon. I don't like crying. I avoid emotional sentimental movies. Chick flicks, if you want to call them. I avoid those things. I make fun of them the whole time if I'm gonna cry I'm like that's so stupid. <laughs> I cry. I laugh so hard it looks like I'm, you know, laughing the tears down, but deep down I'm like, that's so good. Oh I, I can duck pain in the arms of the angel and they have the little puppy dog looking through the looking through the fence (laughs) click it click it change it don't look at the eyes right you know I know the song stupid Alanis Morissette song really good at scrolling social media and you know, if, a, if, a, if a, a story comes along or someone's life that I really don't want to get caught up in or get too connected to, scroll right past it. Yeah, just scroll on past it. I don't need to, I don't need to read about it. Don't need to get caught up in it. I think, I think we all can say that, honestly, in our world today, we're pretty good at ducking pain. Nehemiah could have ducked the pain, but instead, Nehemiah was captured by the sadness captured by the pain and something inside of him broke his heart and he sat down and he wept bitterly at what he had heard. He cried out, what is going on? I'm gonna ask you a question today and you think about this, this is in your notes. What breaks your heart? In our world today, what breaks your heart? What shatters your emotional wall that you put up? What breaks your heart today? Maybe it's the children that are abused and neglected. Maybe, maybe it's that the person that is a a, a girl, the woman who takes, that a 200 pound man beats a 100 pound girl, almost to the point you don't even know who she is. Maybe that breaks your heart today, domestic violence. Maybe today it's inequality that stirs your heart. Maybe it's bullying, because you were bullied as a child, and you just have this internal thing where you just can't stand bulliness. Maybe it's ungodliness. You see what people do. Hypocrisy. What breaks your heart today? Political corruption. What breaks your heart today? Because the fact is, all of us in this room, if we're not careful, we'll duck every bit of pain that we can. And we'll never let God speak to us about what we need to be broken about. I believe, I believe that God is calling a people to seek him and to say, God, what breaks your heart, breaks my heart. What saddens you saddens me. And I believe that as we sit down and we cry out for a God that sees us I believe he'll stir something inside of us, a genuine move of God that will change not just our heart but will move us to be in change of other people's lives around us. Somebody has to do something, why not it be me? What breaks your heart today? If you can sit there today and, if you can sit there today and say nothing breaks your heart, I would ask you, where is your heart and heart at? What breaks your heart? Listen, you cannot turn on the news and not be saddened by what we see going on. It's easy to avoid. In our world today, we can disconnect from it. We don't have to read it. We don't have to turn it on. And we're in a social media society and it strolls across our stream. The problem is, There's injustice and there's things that we must observe and allow it to break our hearts. That's my first thought. We sit down and we cry. The second kind of ordinary people, ordinary world changers. Now, let me tell you something. Some people, they just cry out. They just have a a, a sorrow for what's going on. Others, second one is this. The others kneel down and they pray. Here's what happened. Nehemiah verse four. It says, for some days I mourned. We are we are talking days of mourning that he did here, and he fasted and he prayed to the God of heaven. This is what this month is all about: fasting and praying. We're just talking about this in the in, in, uh, in the prayer room, you know. When you fast, when you truly do a spiritual fast, it's unto God and God alone. And you do it quietly. Scripture says when we fast. You don't, uh, it said, don't be like the uh, hypocrites that, that look like they're fasting and they want everybody to know they're fasting. No, you do what you can to fast unto God. So many say, what can I do? What can I do? I mean, really? I'm just an ordinary guy. I'm just an ordinary girl. What can I do, really, God? Just one person. Just one family just one church, just one view group, we can seek God. Hello? We can do something, and the something we can do is cry out, and we can pray and seek God in His name heavenly places, when you get a burden, when you have a broken heart, when you get to that place, God will stir you to cry out, and then he will stir you to pray and to seek his face. And number four, we sit down and we cry. We kneel down and we pray. And the third one is this. (laughs) Some of us, God is gonna use to stand up and act. That's right. Some ordinary, everyday Joes, everyday women i don't know what the opposite of joe's is really so that's why i say women jills okay jills ordinary people are going to rise up and god is going to call you to do something bold god is going to call you to maybe talk to a coworker God is gonna call you, some of you, in your marriage to have an honest conversation. God is gonna call some of you to step up and to stand up for the voiceless, for the innocent, for the little aborted babies that are done every day in this country. Some of God is gonna call you to stand up and and to speak out for injustice, racial equality and inequality. God is gonna call some of you to step up and to be a leader in your home or a leader in your, in your workplace or a leader in your community, and God is gonna stir you. But it's not something that you ordinarily or would try to do on your own because it's something that comes divinely from God. Some are gonna sit down and cry. Some are gonna kneel and pray. Others are gonna stand up and act. Here's what it said in chapter two. Here's what, here's what happened in chapter two. So Nehemiah sits down and he cries and he prays, and then... This ordinary cupbearer who didn't have any authority whatsoever felt led to do something powerful. Here's what he did. He goes into the king, and he's sad. And here's what the king said. I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when my city is where my fathers are buried? Our, Our buried lies in ruins, and its gates have been destroyed by fire, So we're going to stop right there. Listen, here's what happened. In those days, if you were any kind of servant in the, in the king's castle, in the king's palace, when you came into the room, you must not draw attention to yourself. You were there to be merely an object that took no attention off the king. Nehemiah was saddened, he was, he was deep in his spirit, greed because what had happened in the thousand miles away, he felt like God was leading him to do something. He didn't know what that was, I think, even at this time. And we're gonna read about that. But he was stirred to do something, but yet he was sad. You ever know this? You just know when people are sad, right? You just can see it. And, and the king noticed this sadness. Now, understand that a king could kill him instantly. If he didn't like the demeanor he was putting off, the king's had that authority. They're like, you're too sad. You're dead. Nehemiah was sad because he was grieved deeply. So he goes into the king, and instead of the king killing him, the king inquires about him. Hey, what's up? What's going on? Nehemiah, you're usually more peaceful this. You're usually more content this, this, than this. Why are you sad? And he says, why should I not be sad? Why should I not be unhappy? Why do I not look, my, my country, uh, my fathers had built, it lies in ruins and the gates are destroyed. He goes on to say this. It says, the king said to me, <laughs> what is it you want? Now, We live in a different age and time than when Nehemiah is, and I get it, we don't understand kingship. We don't understand kingship because it's a foreign concept to us. I mean, we have presidents, and if you don't like the presidents, you have a right to speak against the president. You have a right to have your opinion about the president. You do not have that authority. And what's interesting is, in the kingship times, they weren't allowed to speak it. To, they could speak behind his back. They couldn't say it to his face. Well, in our world today, we, people say it all the time to any leaders. They, there's no respect in that area. This was a different kind of place. But this king instead was stirred with something. He says, what is it that you want? What is it I can do for you, Nehemiah? I don't like seeing you this way. What can I do for you? He says, then I prayed to the God of heaven. I kind of think of it as a flare prayer. You ever done a flare prayer? It's kind of that Hail Mary prayer where it's just like really quick, God help me, okay, I'm ready to go. I mean, it's like that fast, like, you know? You get ready to talk to someone at your workplace about who Jesus is, and they're like wide open, ready to talk, and you're like, I don't know, I don't know what to say, and you go, God fill my mouth with your words. Okay, so this is how it works, and you're like all calm, but deep down, you're like, oh, God help me. This is what he shoots a prayer up because he knows if he says the wrong thing, he dead. He can be taken at any moment if he says something that this king does not like. So he says, I prayed to God. He said, and I answered the king. He says, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in your eyes, let me send, uh, let, let him, let the king, send me to the city in Judah where my fathers are buried so I can what? Rebuild it. What a big ask. Now, I'm not gonna say that Nehemiah was replaceable because he was a cupbearer. They probably had 20 of those guys lined up if he was a bad king. Because they were like, oh, one went down, get another one in here. But he could be replaced, but that isn't the point. The point is, he is being bold about what he's asking the king and what the king is going to allow him to do. He did that flare prayer, and God brought him to a greater place. See, Nehemiah came to a place where his misery became his ministry. In his sorrow, he knew something had to be done, but he didn't quite know how it was gonna be done. And some of you, I believe and I pray, are gonna get a vision and a passion for something that, you've been, that God's been trying to stir inside your heart for a really long time. Some of you are gonna step out and you're gonna act in ways that maybe you haven't before. Some of you are going to take a greater stand at your your school. You're going to be bold about who Christ is. You're going to be bold in your faith. You're not going to compromise. You're not going to talk like everybody else does. You're not going to act like everybody else does. You're going to be different because why? There is a world of, of young people that's dying and going to hell. And you may be the only hope. They ever have of knowing who Christ is. And I'm just talking about to the high schoolers and the the middle schoolers. I'm talking to all the adults. You're in the same boat. Every single one of us. We our hearts should break knowing that we just came through a pandemic. And depression is at the highest level in history. Suicide rates are through the roof. People are losing their life and taking their lives every day. It should break our hearts because it breaks the heart of God. It should stir us to be compassionate and passionate. Compassionate for those who are hurting and those who are broken. Even though you may not be touched by that, even though you may not be affected by that, it touched someone else's life. And because of that, it stirs you to cry. It stirs you to pray. And it stirs you to say, what. Can I do? You may be the only one that stands. You may be the only one that speaks up. Nehemiah was. Others knew about what was happening there. But you know what Nehemiah said? You give me favor, God, I will ask. What a bold, ordinary, ordinary young man. That stood before the most powerful person on the known planet. And he says, if it's possible, can I go back and rebuild? Story that stands out to me so much is a story that, you know, is it's an old story, but it's a story that I think can ring true from this. The uh, plane, 9-11, plane that was supposed to be headed to the White House. A 32-year-old man, a dad, a husband, a worker, a friend, knew what was going down. Something stirred inside of his heart. He called his wife, he said, honey, Don't be alarmed, we have a situation. Some terrorists have taken the plane. I don't know where they're taking it, but we gotta take it down. His wife was on the other end of the line, saying, don't do it, don't do it, I need you here. I need you here for our kids, don't do it. He said, honey, this is my prayer phrase. It's all I can stand, I can't stand no more. I have to do something. You hear on the recording, him say, let's roll. They're the ones that jumped up and took the terrorists in the the plane that crashed in the field. It's all I can stand, I can't stand no more. Here's an ordinary man on a plane that left his lasting thumbprint in humanity because why? He stood up, he took a stand. Say, I can't do it all, I I don't know where to start. There's so much I have, I don't know where to start. Start with the simple, Start start with the things that are right here, right now. You're not to adopt every kid, but maybe you're to adopt one. Not to foster every kid, maybe you're to foster one. You can't feed every hungry person, but you can feed one. You can't offer shelter to everybody, but you can offer shelter to one. You can't share the good news of Jesus Christ and the hope of heaven with everyone, but you can share it with one friend, one neighbor, one coworker. You can share it because why? I have to do something. That's all I can stand. I can't stand no more. And God, I cry out and I pray out and I act and I do something. It's not enough to cry out. It's not enough to pray. That is all part of it. But God is going to call and stir you to act and to do something. Some of you today, you're sitting here and you know exactly what I'm talking about. There's been something that God has been birthing in you for many, many months, maybe years. Some of you, you have a relationship that you've been you've been kind of... of feeding and sowing and and kind of feeding into for all these years it's a it's someone that doesn't know who Christ is and you've lived your life pure before him you lived your life in a way that's honoring to God and all God is wanting you to do is to say hey you know if you were to die today where do you know where you would spend eternity you know you can know that you are going to spend eternity in heaven through Jesus Christ, do you know that? Now, some of you go, so that's not me. And maybe, what breaks your heart? Just break your heart to think that if Jesus, as much as I wanna say, come quickly, Lord. Come quickly, Lord, come save us from this crazy world we live. Can I just tell you something, as Americans, we still got it pretty good. But if I cry out, Lord, come quickly, you know what he says to me? He says, hey, Kevin, have you reached them all yet? The ones I've given you to reach? Have you done your part yet? No, I haven't. I haven't done my part yet, but could you just let me pass on this? He says, no, 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 because you know why? I love them. I love that person. I love that person. I love that husband. I love that wife. I love those children. I will not come. I will not come until they know who I am. Until the city is rebuilt and their hearts are found in heaven with me. What breaks your heart? Bow your heads to me today. Father God, what breaks our heart? pray, Father, your spirit would would be in this place and your presence would just fill this place that God right now in the next few moments of time you would search us you would break our hearts for what breaks yours your head bowed and eyes closed today what breaks your heart us. Break our hearts for the things that break your heart. Help us, God, to get past our selfishness be like Nehemiah that could have just stayed comfortably in the palace and he could have stayed comfortably where he was at and been like, eh, that's not part of my world. That doesn't affect me. That doesn't touch my life. So, you know, no big deal. I don't have to really get involved with it. But instead, God, what did you do? You stirred the heart of Nehemiah he sat down and he cried and he knelt down and he prayed and God, he acted and he went beyond his comfort zone and he did the impossible. Why? Because something that broke his heart, he knew broke your heart and he knew that's all he could stand and he had to do something about it. So God, he acted and he went into action. So Lord, I pray, Stories us for that. with God start in our hearts the next few moments of time have our hearts broken what breaks yours God Nehemiah, our hearts would break for what breaks yours, that Lord you would stir inside of us something new, something passionate that we would cry about, that we would pray about, that God we would act about. Lord, we already know that you have called us to be the 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 instruments of change the instruments of change that you have created us ordinary every day, come and go that God you have called us to be the instruments of change in our workplace. God, our workplace don't have to be depressing. They don't have to be dark. They don't have to be sad because Lord, we are taking the light and the hope and the happiness of Jesus every day into that place. So Lord, begin to pray over our workplace or begin to take the joy of the Lord in there, God. Lord, our home life, maybe, maybe our, our extended family. Lord, we don't have a reason to be sad or depressed for we have the hope of Jesus Christ. For those that are hurting, for those that are broken, God, may we have the eyes to see, the heart of compassion to move, and the bold words to speak into those lives eyes to see, a heart that is soft and broken, and a mouth that speaks the encouragement of God, just like Nehemiah. So Lord, I pray, use us. We lift our hands all across this place, say this when we say, Father, make me more like Nehemiah, ordinary but extraordinary in your hands. I may not be able to do much on my own, but with you, God, I have the majority. So I stand confidently in who you are. I ask you, God, use me. Use me to change my world. The world you've blessed me with Change my world. In Jesus' name, everybody say, amen, amen.
1: You've been listening to a ministry of Crossview Church in Keokuk, Iowa with Pastor Kevin Hardcastle. For more information about service times and activities, visit our website, crossviewkeokuk.com.